Today's episode is brought to you by Slayhouse Publishing, recorded at Wayne Howard Studios. Hi everyone, this is Jeremy, with me is Trevor, and this is Slayhouse Presents. We have the new short name. <coughs> short name. Uh, so we're starting a series that mirrors... Um, it's a, it's going to be how many episodes is this? How many episodes do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Well, uh, 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 <laughs> seven, seven episodes. <laughs> seven episodes. Um, uh, uh, uh. So seven episodes on the discussion of craft, and this is the same conversation. This is the same basically semester long lecture that I give my students mm-hmm. um, at the graduate level, and you all are getting it without having to pay graduate tuition You're getting prices. It for free. You're getting it for free. So today we're going to start, and we always start with when we discuss this, when we start this lecture, we start with this idea of themes and literary conventions. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm going to take a step back before we okay. dive into <clears throat> our discussion of themes and literary conventions. All right. Why do we want to do this series to begin with? Oh, that could be an important question. Yeah. Why are we doing this series on this show for our listeners? I have been saying, I said this on the NPR interview, I have said this over and over again, that I want the craft of genre to be, the the art of genre to be just as well respected and just as talked about as people can't see me air quoting high literature. And one (laughs) of the ways we do this is by paying attention to craft and understanding the important choices authors make as crafters. I mean, uh, this is a discussion Trevor and I had uh, a while back. It was in season one, I think, where we talked about Mm. um, objectively reviewing art. And And the difficulty of an objective, quote-unquote, objective review. But as we discussed this more and more, I kept, I realized, like, this is what I do as a teacher of art. I Mm -hmm. teach, you know, art is based on craft, and I think the the analogy that I gave you is like imagine going to here's here's how you know we can't objectively review art, but we can objectively review craft and mm-hmm. see what mm-hmm. art has mm-hmm. developed out of that craft. And so I I think the the analogy I gave you is something along the lines of going to see like a Christmas concert. You go to see two Christmas concerts, right? One is like this eighth grade band. <laughs> and the ones that my wife will not go to. Right, right. For the, the record, no, she wouldn't go to high school. You might still get her to go to the eighth grade, <laughs> the eighth band, grade band. But right. since neither one of you, since the you guys eighth, don't, they're not as pretentious in the eighth grade. That's <laughs> what makes them palatable. Since, since you don't have any children, though, you're going to be raising a whole new set of, set of questions showing up at the middle school. We're here to watch the eighth graders. Look at that flautist. I'm really into her finger placement. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so so we could compare that with going to see also like a regional symphony like playing the exact <laughs> right, same right, right, Christmas right. songs. Right, right. You know, the art is hard to judge, but we can judge the craft. And the craft I right. and I I'm not trying to disparage eighth grade musicians. But they haven't been playing as long. <laughs> you mean this isn't this is a <laughs> podcast where we just come in and shit all over eighth graders? No, no, we shit all over everybody. We, we piss everybody <laughs> we, off. Today just lost, missed. <laughs> we've lost our eighth grade audience. <laughs> today, today we've lost our eighth grade audience. <laughs> <laughs> and their parents apparently after 
Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Parents. Are, well, you know what? I feel like we've gained eighth grade parents because they're like, yeah, eighth grade, <laughs> eighth graders are kind of kind of shitty to each other. They, and they've been to those concerts. They're like. <laughs> Fair enough. So when Fair I, enough. When I invited Caitlin, <laughs> I invited her to this this Halloween concert, right? And, yeah. she, and she was like, I was in a, a high school band. Mm-hmm. I know how shitty a high school band is. <laughs> She's like, I would not I would not pay money to go see myself <laughs> play Halloween music. And I kind of laughed because I was like, well, I mean, the concert's for free. <laughs> and she's like, no, I'm not going. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I was in a high school band, too, and yeah, I'm right there with you, Caitlin. I understand. And yeah, even even for free, it's like I'd still be like, I want my money back. I need something back. <laughs> you got to compensate me for that time, bro. Oh, yeah, so. I, I agree with the mission. I mean, you know, I'm not necessarily a writer. You've seen my stuff. You see how... how you do all right. Uh, You're not yeah, bad. You're not uh, without having any real formal training in it. Um but I, th- I think for me, you know, why this talk is important is because, uh, you know, how do we evaluate literature? You know, mm-hmm. what is the vocabulary that we use in order to understand literature and have, like, a decent conversation about it? And I think one of the things that is missing with a lot of conversations about literature is, is just ultimately we don't have the same vocabulary to talk about what an author is doing in their work. Especially when it comes to fiction. Mm -hmm. Like, you take a poetry class, even an undergraduate poetry class, and you're inundated with vocabulary. You get tons of vocabulary. With fiction, even at some of the most prestigious, like, you know, you went to a a university, a four-year university. Yeah, I did. Um, I went to, you know, this four-year university, and even at these these kind of uh, state schools, these these kind of... um, you know these these big universities they still don't have a good vocabulary mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. setting character dialogue right. plot there's so very that's little that's delivered i think too one of the reasons why i kind of pushed for this series with you as well is because i do know that we have some listeners who would like to be writers yeah. or who already are writers you know and and are kind of just thinking about some of the same things that uh we think about yeah and so you know presenting this to the reader hopefully to help you build out your vocabulary but also if you're a writer who's never taken any of these classes or you've never really had this kind of formal training you know our our hope is that by talking about this stuff related to craft you can begin to think about your own craft and maybe some sources of where to look for um you know good examples of these ideas in literature so that you know i'm not saying you go out and you plagiarize these people but but read them you you know interrogate them look at what they're doing stylistically you know craft wise and think about how you can implement that stuff in your own writing and and i i completely 100 percent agree with you on that i i think for me i personalize it just a tad bit more because my undergraduate creative writing courses were all workshops where we didn't mm-hmm. discuss right. vocabulary. Yep. And then I'm expected to go into a graduate program and talk about craft, and I mm-hmm. didn't have the vocabulary for it. 
Yeah. And the graduate program wants to put that on the undergrad program. The undergrad programs are like that's something you do when you get into the grad school. So I'm <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. why don't we just give this to this to the right. the burgeoning writers, the people who want this information? Well, and and as a professor myself uh, of literature, I mean, one of the things that I really just am all about is like demystifying the process. Yeah. Let's demystify the process of reading. Let's demystify the process of of uh, analysis. And in this case, demystify a bit of the the process of writing. Because yep. I truly believe everyone can be a writer. Everyone yep. can be a writer. You know, and, and it, you should not allow something like, well, you know, I'm not super aware of elements of craft, you know, to hold you back from trying, from, from trying and learning and growing. And if this serves as an introduction to some of these ideas to help you on your journey, yep. then we've met our goal as podcasters, we've met our goal as indie publishers, and we met our goal as uh, professors. I think understanding the vocabulary of any craft you want to partake in. Um, Trevor's seen my house. He knows I've built like... Oh, yeah. I built bookshelves. I built a huge wall-to-wall entertainment center. I built a oh, yeah. deck. I've, I'm playing guitar. All of these mm-hmm. are craft that lead to art. And then right. the, but the craft has its own vocabulary. And I yeah. think learning that vocabulary takes you in any direction you want to go into. Yeah, yeah. And you're absolutely right. And and that's kind of the first step. That's yeah. You know, so we're here. We're here. We're going to give yeah. you the vocabulary. We're going to give you um, this discussion. Yeah. And and so today we're we're opening up with a talk about uh, the the two elements that we're talking about today are theme. Yep. And literary conventions. Yep. All right, Professor Which Jeremy. Boring. It's you know what, but it's but not. It's, it's, I promise it's, it's not. It's integral. Yes, it's exactly. Very integral. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I stumbled across this definition of theme a few years ago. I think when we were still teaching it at NWAC. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I was kicking it around with some of my my cohorts and the more I kind of examine this idea of theme it's like this is a really easy kind of interpretation of how to understand something that is huge like people struggle with this idea of what the theme is but but my this this understanding and this this kind of definition I'm stealing it it's like it was on YouTube I think which means if it's on YouTube <laughs> and I don't pay for YouTube so if it's on YouTube that means it's there to steal so <laughs> It's not copyrighted. If it's, it's not copyrighted. Yeah, it's Everyone not copyrighted. Knows that. It's not copyrighted. <laughs> so the idea is this. So, it's, you know, a lot of times if you ask somebody what the theme of something is, they're like, oh, it's it's war or love or good and evil. And, <laughs> right, you, know, yeah. you know, something like that. You know, they'll, they'll think of these. But, but those really aren't themes. Those are topics, right? Right, yeah. So... Mm-hmm. When we can look at, we can identify the topic in a literary piece, and then we can turn around and say, "What is the author saying about this topic?" Yes, exactly. That is your theme right? So, I th- yeah. So the the theme is not just just uh, you know the topic. The theme is the yeah. statement, right? Yeah. The theme is the argument being made. It doesn't necessarily have to be summarized as succinctly as like a sentence, right? right? Because I think you can have very complex, contradictory themes well, you know, sure. going on in a book. But, but ultimately, the theme is the statement. Yeah. Did you want to mention, when do you want to throw in like the, because the, I knew you were thinking about examples of all of this. 
do you want to kind of? I I'm ready for examples. You want to give them kind of an example of? Yeah, I mean, so uh, I think an example of a writer who handles theme incredibly well. Mm -hmm. uh, Probably my my favorite uh, contemporary author, to be honest, when it when it comes to the craft of theme, uh, and that's Amakatsu. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know for my money if there is anybody who is doing it as uh, consistently and as um, and we've had her on the show yeah, we you, have. And if you haven't listened this to that, is go not, back and listen. This is not me sucking up to Amakatsu, though. <laughs> right, I right. mean, like, the, I, this is genuinely how I feel. You know I've read so much stuff. You know, I, yeah. I read constantly. And for my money, in, in terms of contemporary genre writers, I don't know that anyone's doing it better than Amakatsu is. Yeah, and I'd so one one phenomenal example of theme um, from Amakatsu is uh, her new latest short story slash novella whatever you want to call it. i think it's it's a short story but mm-hmm. it's almost the length of a novella um and that's called uh the Veilwolf. 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 castle sorry it, it, it is a werewolf story <laughs> yeah. right but it's set in world war ii and the themes of course are um you know, monsters aren't just supernatural. Monsters are human beings who make conscious decisions for the wrong reasons. Yep. Right? They are the, the people, uh, and, and that you can be monstrous too, not just by making bad decisions, but by supporting or not actively working against the people who make bad decisions in yeah. your community. If you are not, it's that old <laughs> question, you know, um, of, of recent political discourse, you know, if you are not an anti-racist, then you support racist attitudes. Yeah. To be a an anti-racist, a true anti-racist, you must confront it every instance you yep. see it and um so i think this book you know is making that same kind of statement right like it's asking questions of of you know what is the evil that we're uh, willing to live with in our lives and how does that make us evil too so those are kind of the thematic statements that yeah. i think this story is making right now we could say the topics are like werewolf yeah. Human monster. Yeah. Right. We can make these topics of of um, you know uh, Nazism. Right. Yeah. But those aren't the thematic statements that she's trying to make. Right. The real story, the real impetus of these of of what she ends up crafting, is a, a thematic statement where she is posing this argument, essentially saying, when we don't confront evil, we can very easily become subsumed by it yeah what's that what's that old saying those who um evil does not need to succeed by an by itself it, it relies on good men not doing anything i just butchered yeah, the fuck out i of mean that. that's <laughs> definitely not the maxim as i learned it in school but you're right yeah yeah exactly i mean it's this is the thematic statement yeah. right and 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 True to form with Amakatsu, you know, it's not just one thing or another thing. It, it is many different statements kind of presented at once, intertwined yeah. with one another, which I think leads into 
your next point about yeah. theme, which is that there can be more than one theme in yeah. a story, right? It's not as though you only have one thing to say, but that in the process of writing, you can often discover that you are trying to say many kind of intertwined things all right. at once. And that means that even though you may have one controlling theme, you have secondary themes or tertiary yeah. themes that show up in this story that are just as important to the narrative, but maybe not the sole point of focus for your story. Right. And I want to, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's a nice segue <laughs> into it because that, from a craft perspective, trying to sit down and think about themes can sometimes be very difficult. Like, what themes do I want to... Sometimes they're <laughs> handed to you. Like, if you think right? about what, like, a werewolf is, mm -hmm. sometimes the themes can come easily and be like, right. oh, okay, I know what I'm going to talk about here. Sometimes if you combine that with a particular time period or setting, like she did with that book, the themes can then become, become uh, pretty easy, too. But then again, we don't want to burden everything we do. We don't want to develop this, like big writer's yeah. block by just sitting right. there thinking about themes. So this we, is what I have to marry myself to, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. Sometimes no. the theme starts as just the topics that you're going to cover. Like, hey, what am I going to be talking about in this? Right. But, but there, I, I feel like, and I've I've graded these, I've I've broken them down, and you, you mentioned them, so we've got the primary, secondary, and tertiary themes. And for people mm -hmm. scared of those words, primary means, means one. <laughs> it, means, it, means, it, mean, it means the first. <laughs> yep, means the first. Secondary means two. And tertiary, which is, oh, God, that word, just means three, right? So It's like when I talk to my kids, I'll tell them something about, like, yeah, we're going to do that the penultimate day of class. What the fuck does that mean? <laughs> It That's just means a, the second on the last, bro. Either that or penultimate sounds like something rad, like <laughs> Doctor Strange grabbed his penultimate <laughs> and like it's so, battled demons. It's, it's, <laughs> a, it's a big product. <laughs> it's, a, it's just a it's just a really nice pen. I keep it. It's the penultimate. It, it writes upside down. It writes upside down. <laughs> it's a space pen. <laughs> um, so primary themes are when the author sits down and says, "I know what I'm trying to say with this," right? They're, they're, they sit down and they say, I know exactly what this story is going to be talking about or what kind of I want to, I want to bring yeah, out in this story. I, I, I think of it as the controlling theme, yeah. right? The controlling but idea of the story. there can be more than story. one of those, too. I mean, if you have a, a, a novel with, you know, stretching across oh, complex ideas, you can have multiple primary wow. themes. You know, almost kind of like another of my favorite writers, Marina yeah. Lostetter in uh, Numenon. Oh, Numenon, yes. Yeah, Numenon has all kinds of really interesting uh, controlling ideas, right? Yep. Uh, because I think each chapter kind of serves as its own little... Uh, uh, you know, story, vignette, whatever you want to call it, mm -hmm. with its own controlling idea, its own story to tell, its own very distinct thematic message. Yep, and we've had her on the show, too. I'm not, I swear <laughs> to God, I'm not just choosing people we know. I really do well, just love I mean, these writers. I do, too. And I, I think do they're too. phenomenal you know, examples of this craft. And so one writer that I thought of while we are talking about this, about theme, uh, mm -hmm. that I just interviewed on the show was Sina Palayo. Sina <laughs> Palayo, another she, great example of theme. She really understands what it is she's wanting to get across yeah. with her work and, and really kind of putting it out there. So 
Um, again, listen to these old interviews that we t- we talk to these people, but, about this and we stuff. do, and, yeah. and and this stuff comes up, right? I mean, we, we've had a conversation about theme with Almakatsu, mm-hmm. you know, and and her advice being don't don't go into a story knowing that you're going to write about a theme, right. you know, it, like you have to, you definitely have to let that message kind of develop as you write. Which brings me to the secondary theme. Uh huh. Right. Which are those that kind of pop up as your story as you're writing. writing? Right. When you come out with with a governing idea, you know, for for what it is that you're trying to say. I I personally think that's a great place to start. At least you know when you're thinking about what am I going to write? Yeah. Or really what what I I think you need to know is is kind of like what is it that you're trying to say as yeah. you go into write? It doesn't have to be super original. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, uh, uh, you know, um, the the thing that's going to sell the most, right? It just it needs to be something you genuinely care about. It needs to be something you're passionate about because that's kind of what is going to carry you through the process. And truth be told, uh, there's kind of a blend or a, a, a very faint. It's kind of hard to to, to to differentiate between primary and secondary themes because a lot mm-hmm. of times what I'll do. If I'm working on a novel, I'll be like, here's some topics that I think will be covered in this and some ideas. But then I develop the characters and then I develop the the, the themes kind of branch out of this. Exactly. In my own writing, uh, you know, one of the things I I find is is that um, I often surprise myself Mm -hmm. by discovering, right, discovering something about my characters or discovering something about the story that I'm trying to tell just by the act of telling it. Yep. And as a result, those secondary themes, I think, kind of start to to grow organically from the experience. As you're wrestling with this major idea, you're going to have other ideas that are related to it, right? And that's yep. kind of what bubbles up as we simmer the soup down, I think. But just like... <clears throat> those late night infomercials but wait there's more <laughs> but wait there's more <laughs> you want one theme you want two, two themes. themes how we about three, three themes? themes and those would be I Trevor and I talked about this too about <laughs> only 1995 um, <laughs> I'm gonna start charging people for these <laughs> you want a theme here's a theme buddy <laughs> I got three themes for you or Oprah like everybody gets a theme you get a you theme, get a you, theme. Get a theme. <laughs> you get a theme <laughs> Um, <laughs> so tertiary themes are, I feel like, you know, maybe there, there's something that the author doesn't even think about, but then the reader gets into it right. and the reader's like, Ooh, what yeah. about this? Or the reader, you know, if we're reading a book that comes at us from another period of time and we're like, Oh yeah, this kind of jumps out at us, you know, from a historical mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. literary critique mm-hmm. perspe- perspective, mm-hmm. this is what we're going to, you know, yeah. this is what I'm this pulling This stuff from that's kind of not even necessarily intended, <clears throat> but then ends up being there, right? Yeah. You know, just kind of by virtue of, of the interaction, the magical interaction uh, between uh, author and, and reader. Art does not exist in a vacuum. We can't. I mean, it. I mean, mine does. Yeah. You can't. You can't ever interact with my art if I never let anyone have it. That's true. <laughs> that is true. Of course, we are in a podcast booth, and this is much like a vacuum. <laughs> but, <laughs> but this, yeah. I mean, the art that's published there. Right. How about that? Art. Art that's published. It, no, is, you're, you're absolutely right. It does not exist, exist in, in a vacuum, and it can't. I mean, to make it relevant to the people reading it, to make it, you know. To, to get them to sympathize with your characters. They right. have to live and engage in a world that has to resemble something that we can identify. That, yeah. And that immediately puts it into 
social constructs and historical context right, exactly. and just everything else. This and is one of the reasons why I, I so frequently talk about uh, the politicization of art. Yeah. Um, because I, I, I see a lot of people, and, and rather unfortunately I think they're on the conservative side of the spectrum, but I see a lot of people who get really angry at the concept that art maybe is political. Yeah. Because if art has, oh, gosh, I'm I'm going on my soapbox. Because if art has a woman, how did or, you get a soapbox in here? Uh, I, I I stole it from the soap lady. Oh man! D- down the street, it was a it was an, a crime of passion. The one pushing the cart. Yeah, <laughs> I pushed her cart over too. That's terrible. We just got off the rails. <laughs> I'm just I'm just yes handing over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So go ahead. I've knocked him off his soapbox. So yeah, no, gonna... I, but but you know, God forbid you include a woman or a black person in a story. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, God forbid we have a story with a black or, person or any person as a of lead. color. Yeah. Right. No. Right. Exactly. I I think that um, I hear a lot of arguments about you know art should be or or at least media entertainment should be apolitical, and that's that's such a stupid thing to say because. All art is political. All art, when it, it leaves one man's brain or one person's brain and, and, and you know goes out into the world, it is going to be a construct of all of that person's politics, all of that person's ideas. You cannot have an interaction between two people and not have it be in some way political. Yeah. And so art, I think, is is inherently political and, and that, even the quote-unquote apolitical art is still a political statement and so i think that um you, you kind of have to understand like you know write the stories you want to write <laughs> you, you know write the stories that that um you you feel are necessary to to explore and and but also understand you know people are going to interpret that art you know, according to their socioeconomic uh, situation, their political yeah. situation, you know, and 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 just be prepared. Like all art is political. And people who want to push back against that, I have two very good non-literary examples of that. And so people pushing back say, "I don't believe that all art is political." Say, "Okay, yeah, what kind of music do you like?" And if they say, you know, like <laughs> country music. What the actual? It's all it's, meaning it's, making. All music yeah. is just meaning making, yeah, man. It's it's. Country music is some of the most conservatively political uh, music out there. Just like, and the, mm-hmm. the antithesis of that. I mean, listen to some of these country artists like singing about God and country and going off to serve the war and you know. Oh well, I mean, deep I don't conservative even, fa- family values. And I, can't, I haven't listened to country in a I long can't time. Leave. Well, I, I, from what I understand, it's a lot of <laughs> I'm getting drunk with my dog and my girl. There's some of that too. Yeah, yeah, there's some of that. But uh, and then balance that against like say. Um, punk music. I mean, if you go into like these uh, punk bands and listen to like punk you music. You can't listen to p- punk. Punk music is is fundamentally political. It's, yeah. You it's in your face political music. My God. Could you, what would an apolitical punk band even say? You can't, you can't even call yourself a punk band if you're apolitical. I mean, the Ramones, I think of that song, the KKK took my baby away. <laughs> 
I mean, and they are like, they're, or they're singing, there's another song they do where they're singing about Nazis, and they're all four, like, New York Jews. I mean, it's you can't tell <laughs> know, me it's not I, political. That's the thing. You, and it's you a, know. And it's, but it aligns politically, too, with the more progressive side right. of things. Like, it's it's kind of, I, I mean, it's kind of how uh, Rich Hanley, you know, talks about it. It's, yeah. it's like, you know, why are you even into the stuff that you're into if you yeah. think that it's apolitical? Yeah, look at yeah. What did he bring up? Star Trek. Yeah, like, oh, Star like, Trek. Oh, Star Trek has been Planet political. of the Apes. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I mean, it, it, here's the thing: you just can't get away from the politics, and even yeah. the stuff that you may think is apolitical. I promise you, it's not. I promise you, it's not. Yeah. Maybe it's speaking to your ideas of what is politically acceptable. You know, there's all kinds of art out there. If you want those voices, okay. But don't pretend that your art isn't political because all art is political. All art is political. Like I'm thinking now of that of that uh, that painter and his shit. His name is is escaping me. Maybe you know, and if not, maybe you guys can reach out to us on social media and tell me who I'm thinking of. But uh, Silence of the Lambs, the movie, they re-represent him one of this guy's paintings. And this guy painted some, like, really disturbing-looking imagery. It was, like, very disturbing paintings. Um, and he did one of, like, the Pope, and the Pope looks almost ghoulish or like a monster. But I'm thinking about the politics of this of this painting. Again, he's a very famous painter. I have thought about him, and I've written about him before, and now I just cannot think of his name. I don't know. So if you think of his name, Twitter. Like hit us up on Twitter. <laughs> if you say, think of his name, you're better than we are. You're better than we are. Um, but no, there's <laughs> anyway. a scene like in, in Silence of the Lambs when they come in and they think um, Hannibal Lecter has just escaped, right? And the cops are coming in trying to catch him. And they see this guy that's been splayed up in the cage. And uh-huh. he's like eviscerated and right, opened up. Yeah, it's sure. gruesome. And it's a direct callback to one of the most famous paintings of this guy. Right. Um, and it's Visual just, symbolism there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But this guy was very, I mean, his paintings, which upset, especially like the ones about the Pope and these religious paintings uh-huh. that took these gruesome turns, um, really upset people. But again, they're making a political statement. Right. And how this kind of ties in with me for theme is a lot of times those themes are going to be those statements. Yeah. They're right, right, right. comments. Uh, yeah, it's a, exactly. A, a theme is a comment or a statement about <coughs> about the main topic, you know, yeah. the main the main, These idea main ideas of, of your your story. And a lot of and the good I'll say it like this, maybe not every story has themes or has intentional themes that the author tried sure. for. Sure. But the better stories do, and right. those will speak to if that you, politics. Exactly. If you really want your story to stand out, right, it, it, it's all about understanding, understanding your message. Yep. After, you know, when you've written it, when you're when you're reshaping your story, when you are uh, going through that process of, of, you know, kind of cleaving out the fat and, and really getting down to, you know, what is your story, you need to really be thinking about you know does this help illustrate my idea here yeah. you know is it does this help refine my statement yep that's going to be the good stuff yep you know that's the the stuff that that's that, want, your... that you want to to really develop exactly that's yep. going to be what elevates your story to a new level yep um slayhouse our titles have some very strong themes. The different, the different. Yeah, some interesting and, stuff, man. Uh, Karen Huff's ground control has some very love understandable themes. Themes love that we can relate to. Control. Absolutely. Um, and I've gotten a sneak peek at her next book, and guys, she's still kind of 
touching on this and she and i had a, a nice little video zoom conference the other night and yeah um, that's right so we're we're kind of on par so i'm karen i'm giving you a shout out and yeah no you know what you're she's, right she's got karen a, gets it got, she's, she's got, got a really good handle on it. she does she has a, her finger on the pulse of, of what she is wanting to say with her work and I, ground I control too, does a really good job i'm a, I, you know I'm, I'm kind of throwing this out there you know i think that uh mindful scorpions has uh some really interesting themes too Thank you. and and um you, you know i'm <laughs> Uh, just spo- <laughs> not a spoiler warning, but but uh, you know, kind of a trigger warning or a content warning for those that are out there. You know, <laughs> uh, mindful of scorpions has some heavy stuff in it, um, yeah. but I think that it's as a, as a book, it's interesting um, the the kind of overarching themes that um, kind of develop as as the the book goes along. Yeah. Yeah. Two great examples of, you know, how can you explore some ideas? How can you make some interesting statements, you know, about the situations? And if you're uh, not doing this with your books. with your genre fiction, guys, that's and girls, that's what the time are you to doing? be doing. <laughs> genre does so good at discussing and exploring genre themes. Genre is so wonderful for so pre- much, so presenting much you with, better with about this. kind of these symbolic tools so to like really that. interrogate ideas. Then that high-minded idea of like high literature. I mean, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. genre is like written <laughs> for this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I think I that's so, the joke. I, I get so I, bored about uh, it, just uh, like <laughs> literary fiction. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I've read my share, fair share of literary fiction, but there's a reason why I keep going back to genre. I do. I do still read a lot of literary fiction. I do still like it, and I like some yeah. of the craft choices that they make. But oh sure. Um, I mean, I, the, impeccable craft. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to discount genre, especially horror, for what no, it can do, no. what it can offer up. And th- and yeah, and, and and just if you really want to become a better writer, if you want your story to stand out more from the crowd, be thinking about how you are developing these messages in yeah. your work. So that's a short little kind of introduction into theme. So the next thing you would probably do is have a good understanding of literary conventions. Now, when I'm teaching this course, the way I kind of get the students to... Um, not just memorize and learn the terms, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. then actually understand. Is they take uh, two books from the same from a similar genre. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, one from a classical, like a, it's got to be a classic, um, okay, and then okay. another one that's contemporary. Okay. So, for example, a student might take William Peter Blatty's The Exorcist, yeah, and then Grady sure. Hendrix's um, My mm-hmm. Best Friend's Exorcism. Yeah, absolutely. And after we go through these terms and these ideas, they construct. Uh, papers um, viewing mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. looking at these different ideas. So they look yeah. at theme, they look at literary uh, criticism, or they look at literary conventions. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> they look at dialogue. They look at, yeah. you know, they look I at mean, the things. When we talk about conventions, <clears throat> literary conventions, I, I mean, what is the term itself meaning? So literary convention is. Uh, I almost think of it as like an umbrella term. So it's kind of the things that you do to make your your work, your literary uh, work, look like that yes, literary work. Yes, exactly. A convention, right, right. W- would be um, 
man, this is tough. Working, working, working. Definitions here. No, I, I think a convention is you know the thing that you do to make it the, the genre that it is, right? The thing that it is. Right. So it, one of the ways I, I like to explain this or look at mm-hmm. this is in I think about it in two ways. Now I know we've kind of misused the term genre a lot, so yeah. I'm going to say it's starting like the, with like medium, accepted method of of right. delivery. You know, for example. Right. So if you open up a book of plays by Shakespeare. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you open up a novel, and you open up a collection of poems right. from like Wadsworth, right? You can just look at the pages from Wadsworth. Wordsworth. Oh, I said Wordsworth. I, th- I thought you said Wadsworth. I was like, is there a poet I don't know about? <laughs> no, he was the. That's the butler in Clue. Isn't he? <laughs> does it, Tim Curry no play idea. Wadsworth? I have no idea. I think he does. I think, it, and I yeah, no Wordsworth. Sorry, folks. I should have picked an easier one like Byron or something. <laughs> Um, Lord Byron. Lord Byron. Uh, <laughs> then, we could, then we could roll our R's. Uh, People yeah. are like, no, we tuned you out when you guys did uh, that. You're, yeah, that's yeah. your lowest it's record, always, every your time. lowest viewed episodes. <laughs> Nobody likes so the not, Byron episode. We will not trill our R's anymore. Um, so <laughs> so you could open up this this book of poems by Wordsworth. Um, you, could o- you could open these up and you can look mm-hmm. at the various conventions that actually are designed on the page to show mm-hmm. us what a novel looks like yeah. or what a poem looks like I mean, like consider that the, 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 like. exactly it's it's how we ident- conventions are how we identify the thing as the thing right right exactly so example we know it it's a, it's a poem because there's a meter or there's a rhyme or there's a, a, a particular structure right. right to how the the poetry is delivered we know it's a play yep. and then it's got a, an act structure a scene structure yep. right we know it's Shakespeare because he likes to end his scenes with a rhyme scheme. You know, like that's how we can kind of tell these things apart. It's yeah. the same with music, right? There are musical conven- conventions. Exactly. You know, the instruments that we use often determine like what kind, is it classical music? Because classical music does not use electronic instruments, right? right? Is it something more contemporary or, or pop? Those are going to use more of our electronic in- instruments. You know, yep. these are some of the uh, accepted conventions of what makes the thing the is it, thing. Is it, speaking of the Ramones and punk, is it rock with, like, guitars and drums? Sure, yeah. Or is it Guns N' Roses and November Rain, where they combine symphony and rock? <laughs> <laughs> they do. They have that whole orchestra background for with, like, yeah. Axl Rose on the fucking yeah, piano. Yeah, and yeah. It's like... Jesus, man! Use your illusion one and two. They were so yeah. fucking full of themselves. I mean, there's there's, there's all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff. But with that same mindset, you can also identify um, the literary conventions of genres. Yeah. So you can look at a cover of a book and be, and even like into the book itself, and see that this is a romance because it's got like Fabio on the cover. And the girl oh, yeah, is like half yeah. dressed, or you can I, tell it's course. a western. Right. You can right. tell if it's a sci-fi or a horror novel. Yes. You can these. There are literary conventions that play into these things. Yeah, and right. I don't want to confuse them with the idea of like stereotypes or tropes. Um, right, right. But right. they are. You know, if you're reading a western, you expect it to take place at least in something that looks like the old west, maybe a desert. Yeah. And I do think there's room to talk about tropes. Yeah. Uh, but tropes, I think, are separate from conventions. Oh yeah. Right. Like yeah. the 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 conventions of style. You know, the conventions of uh, you know genre. Even the conventions of 
uh, when I say genre, you know, I don't even necessarily mean is it horror, is it sci-fi, is it whatever. Right. Although those have certain accepted conventions, you know, for example, sci-fi always has a novum. Yeah. You know, the, the the piece of technology or, or the, the, you know, the concept that completely restructures our human society. That's the novum. There's yeah. always got to be a novum yeah. for, for it to be sci-fi. You know, if it's horror, uh, there's there's got to be some extreme element of, of uh, you know, exploring the human condition. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's not really horror. You yeah. know, um, if it's a romance, you got to have characters who are, you know, like it's all about the relationship between yeah. the characters. I'm not even going to say it's about love because, you know, you can have a romance. It's not even about it love. It could be a bodice ripper and just be about sex. It could and, be just about sex. Yeah, so. But it's about the relationships, yeah. right? If you don't have an emphasis on the human relationships of a romance, it's not a romance, yeah. right? These are the accepted conventions of genre. But mm-hmm. I'm also thinking genre uh, kind of in, in the, the big G genre sense, mm-hmm. you know, um, the short story or the novel or the novella yep. or, uh, you know, your your collection, you know, whatever it is um, that you're trying, your flash fiction, right? Yep. All of these have accepted conventions um, that you really should familiarize yourself with mm-hmm. before you attempt to kind of dive into writing Excuse me, I ran out of air. Um, writing, breathe, you know, breathe. Yeah, I can't. <laughs> this sweaty box is killing me. I've got the fan turned all the way up. <laughs> no, but you know, these are the things you should consider before you, you know, you yeah. dive into. You know, I'm, I'm going to write my next novel. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Let's make sure you understand the, the real conventions <laughs> of, of uh, constructing something like that. You know. And what gets fun about that too is if you want to say break convention or if you want to combine like sure if you want to write a novel that's like you know it combines different genres yeah i mean you want to look at a a a convention breaking novel yeah you know uh like house of leaves is the convention breaker yeah right like nothing about that book uh adheres (laughs) to convention but we also know some people who have um written and kind of broken with some convention you know like brian mccauley who um presents his book uh curse of the reaper with these um these these little passages of uh screenplay you know kind of taken from the the ooh. Oops, um, taken from the the Reaper series, right? Uh, but even that's really interesting because there are conventions to writing a screenplay yep. that he has to adhere to, even within the scope of the novel. Yep. I mean, it's so you need to be able to, and this is part of the reason why we tell people if you want to be a good writer, read, um, absolutely, read, a lot. read everything you because you'll you identify can kind of find. These, these literary conventions, and you will know what mm-hmm. you will want to to emphasize in your story and what you will want to to bring out. And, um, yeah, I, damn, I don't know if there's anything else I can say on that, but... Well, I, I, I mean, you know, learn, learn the conventions of your genre. Uh, so when we talk specifically about some of our favorite genres, you know, mm-hmm. I've, I've mentioned the sci-fi, the novum, which yeah. is super important in sci-fi. You know, what are some other conventions that you know, you know, for horror? What are some of the things that we should be paying attention to when considering is our work, you know, this kind of a story? So one of the things that I think about when I think about a horror novel um, and a good, effective horror novel is 
the how the the words on the page are arranged to draw out that mm. immense feeling from you. Mm. It's hard. I mean, you're obviously... It's got to be evocative, It's right? got to be evocative. You strong can't... Strong emotions, strong ideas. We've... And Trevor and I have read books like this, and they're not very good. You don't have <laughs> jump scares in novels. <laughs> Although, uh, some Amity, people have tried. <laughs> Amityville Horror comes to mind. <laughs> yeah. I hate that book so much because it's just jump scares. It's Jump Scares City, which doesn't work when it's a fucking book, guys. It just doesn't work like that. So since you can't have jump scares in a novel, you've got to think about some of the other things you can do. Right. So a lot of it's like the setting of that. Atmosphere, the of course, of atmosphere tone. is so critical to any horror novel. I have read a few, um, and, and, and actually, I was reading. I was reading over our one of our friends. Uh, he had to write an abstract for this this research paper he's working on. He's a PhD <laughs> candidate, and I'm like, I'm like, the first thing I'm noticing when I'm reading his abstract is it's like everything is like so duh. It's like ba 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 ba. It's like real short clipped kind of sentences. Yeah. And that's but that's kind of but he's like that's, that's the, the nature of that's yeah the that's the nature of the, of the abstract. abstract yeah he's like that's it what can't we want. be super complicated mm-hmm. it's got but if you write your, when do these abstracts end up in a fucking search engine like that's why it's written the way it's written right but if you if you write a horror novel like that oh, it wouldn't work no your readers it are going to be bored at all read out loud guys mm-hmm. listen to it and, mm-hmm. li- and and vary the sentences like a horror mm-hmm. novel really knows mm-hmm. how and this sounds kind of mundane but the the prose is often very. Uh, it's it's changeable, it's malleable, mm-hmm. right? You'll have like a few maybe short clipped sentences to express the action and the horror, but then you have these nice long flowing florid sentences that really bring in description or atmosphere or tone. And having yeah. a good understanding of how to manipulate the words and the sentence structure yeah. and the syntax to yeah. be able to evoke those emotions I, from your reader. I also think about really structure uh, of horror and horror yeah. stories. You know, when you write stuff, there has to be this this sense of tension, right? There yeah. has to be this this maintenance of the suspense. Yeah, and and you have to know when to measure out your suspense and when to cut the suspense. You know when the yep. suspense should kind of spike and then come back down. I know we don't want to see uh, jump scares in a, right. a, a a novel because that doesn't work. But I do think that there needs to be kind of this build up and then a punchline, right? Yep. Like what drives your mo- your your story forward is. Um, the, the, the kind of crescendo of terror, if you will, um, that, that kind of builds up and, and leaves suspense for your reader yep. so that you, you know, you're kind of compelled forward through the narrative. Yeah. Um, and there, there are a number of ways you can do that. Uh, as we move on through this series, we're going to dig into particular ideas and we're going right. to be giving name to a lot of these terms that you can then look for within, say, right. yeah. your particular genre that you want to write. And you can yeah. be like, okay, I see how they're doing this. I see how they're using this. And right. I don't want to give away the, the store yeah. you know, early. Yeah. So, so this is these are ideas that we're going to be coming back to, though, these ideas of theme and literary convention. We are going to be touching back on them as we move through the rest of the series. Yeah. So I think... You know, to your point, one of the things that I just throwing out there for you as a listener, you know, some homework for you, if you will, you know, be thinking about, um, you know, 
when we think about stuff like convention, how can we open a book and identify which genre we're looking at? Yeah. You know, really consider the stuff that you read, the stuff that you're trying to emulate, the stuff that, that you're really interested in. How do you know by looking at it, by reading it, you know, that it is what it is? Those are the conventions um, that we're talking about. One author that comes to mind that I know you and I have discussed immensely about having problems with, and I think we both have problems with him. Um, and so I don't want to mention H.P. Lovecraft without acknowledging that there are a lot of issues with him. But one of the things and the reason he is still looked at in horror communities mm -hmm, mm -hmm. is for his ability to craft and stage the story. Sure, absolutely. And then his ability to, and sometimes the words, sometimes the vocabulary is a bit uh, stilted. Mm. It's a mm. bit archaic. It is what it is. But he can invoke that terror in you with the mm -hmm. words on the page and we're, finds interesting ways to describe these things that you yeah. really... We're talking about Stephen King over here, right? H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, Lovecraft? Yeah, yeah. yeah Lovecraft. Shocked. Yeah. Wow. Lovecraft. I That's why you're going in a different way. No, no you're no. right. I mean, Lovecraft is incredibly effective at, uh, and, at and he at, does. He's got lots of crafting problems. Crafting yeah. atmosphere. Oh, I'm not. You know, yeah. That's a that's a that's, <laughs> that's a, a story for another podcast. That's another podcast. Yeah, that's another uh, podcast. Um, no, I I think uh, you're absolutely right. I think Stephen King kind of does it uh, the same Stephen way. King, you know, he he is one that I would love to. He he does so many good things craft wise, and I know we've discussed some of the other issues yeah. with King. Um, but there's a reason why, craft-wise, he he's kind of revered. And for a lot yeah. of years, he was the name of horror. Oh, he's still the name of horror. I mean, he... Uh, he still is, he no, knows, no doubt. He knows. And I could... I think when we were kind of discussing the, the, the ideas for this episode, I was, what, listening to the audiobook for It. And yeah, I'm, that's like, right. texting Trevor, and I'm like, this is a great example of X that can come on the craft episode. Oh, sure. And, you know, again, Stephen King's... I mean... At least to his point, Stephen King is is I, I don't want to get into necessarily all that, but I mean, we there, there's a whole episode we we want to have about Stephen King. Yeah, and there's a there's a whole reason why we haven't touched on him really yet. Uh, right, right. But I do think you know to his credit, uh, you want to you want to talk literary convention. Look yeah. at what Stephen King does with uh, any of his stories. Yeah. I, I, similarly, I think uh, R.L. Stein is a yep. perfect example of some of horror's finest conventions if you really want to understand uh the convention of that that suspense right mm -hmm. the the convention of um the, that you know kind of spike of of tension and and the complications of a story that move your story your plot forward you know yeah. move um the story along read goosebumps yeah. Like, read Goosebumps and really pay attention to the chapter structure and the conventions of his kind of horror. And to step, to show you again that this isn't just about horror, um, Trevor and I did an episode on the Maltese Falcon. Um, oh, we sure did, yeah. And there is a, a genre of, of novels and stories that have their yeah. own literary oh, conventions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the hard-boiled detective. It's, absolutely, yeah. They have their own uh, literary conventions. Yeah, I mean, crime fiction has also has yeah. you know, all kinds of, of uh, different conventions. All of these genres work differently. Yep. And it is on you 
as a reader, as a writer, to really educate yourself on what these conventions are so yeah. that when you create your work, you can create that dialogue with those conventions. Yep. Whether you want to break with convention or whether you, you seek to reaffirm it, doesn't really matter. You can only do either one, though, if you know the conventions you're working with. And uh, to your point on that, but also to those who want to be better reviewers, who want to be more informed reviewers. Uh, absolutely. You can look now at a, at a book and say, hey, I know what the literary conventions are for this title right. of book. I know the author did it well or they didn't do it exactly. well. Exactly. And that right. gives your review some yeah. some weight. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, I don't yeah. want to say it's, it shouldn't have weight. It should. But, you know, you re, you're able to write about stuff like this at this kind of level People are going to, if that's your goal in life, to be a solid reviewer that you can really influence people, this is a good way to do it. Yeah. This is a really good way to do it. So, yeah. All right. I, th- <coughs> I think that taps us out. I, th- I feel like yeah. we've had our conversation about craft. Welcome to our craft series. Um, yep. We're excited for you know this series of episodes where we will be talking about this stuff. Should I give them a preview like of the overall of what the next? Yeah, why not? All right. So we've got coming up uh, Narrative Structure character and narration and you're like but jeremy isn't narrative structure and narration kind of that nope they're different and we're going to talk about it (laughs) dialogue setting figurative language and then maybe give you some ideas on how to analyze your own creative pieces and how to go through them because that can be a very difficult thing to do self-revise is is hard Golly, um, is it ever? <laughs> is it ever? But it it, it does help, uh, I think, to um, to talk about the revision process. Yep. Because uh, <laughs> believe me, folks, believe me, <laughs> um, your work is never uh, the best just straight out the gate. Yep. You know, it it really does get better the more you work on it and the more time you devote to really, you know, constructing it into the thing you want. So. Yep. All right. This has been a, a fun opening to it, I think, and I'm yeah, really excited for you guys to listen. Yeah, hopefully you learned something. Learn a little something. Uh, telethon is out. We're getting into the radio dramas. Yeah, telethon We're, was so much freaking fun to do. That was fun. Can we talk about how fun that was to do? That's another episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe, maybe that's right. Man, we've got a lot coming down the coming down the pipe. And as I'm, of today, as of recording. Our proof is ready for Tales of Slay House 2022. And it will be out by the time this airs. Oh, my gosh. So I'm what excited. What a journey. I, that's been a great... I, I love it. I love it. Honestly, every time we do one of these, I, I, I feel more and more excited about the prospect of doing them in the future. Yep. I love the contributors that we've had. I love the stories that we've, we've been able to read. I love the way it all kind of comes together and, uh, and I, I'm proud of this one, too. And if you want to hear my interview with the Arkansas version of NPR... Hey! This is to, so fun! Go to KUAF.com and look up Ozarks at Large. And I've got a... By the time this airs, all of my interview will be out. And you guys yeah, will... Yeah, it's, it's been out for weeks. And and you guys will be like, oh, wow, this is so cool! It's, a, it's amazing. So, yeah, it was a great <laughs> great time, great uh, boon for Slayhouse. I don't want to even just say it was boon for me. It was, it was for yeah, Slayhouse. I mean, it's, 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 it's always great to just kind of cross over a little bit of that threshold yeah you know and and to to get some legitimacy for what you do yep so we've got books out come to our website see our books follow us on social media we're all over the place we're there um and until next time this has been slay house presents